In a world of what are yous, welcome to the place where the answer is always human. My name is Natalie and you're listening to Some Kind of Brown, a podcast about mixed and multiracial life, current events, and ways to build the best life by a southern girl who's trying to figure it out for herself. Okay, first of all, I want to apologize for my voice for the intro and outro. I seem to have caught the plague. We're back this week with part two of the conversation with Agnark about straddling racial and ethnic lines when you have indigenous ties. But before I get into that, I just wanted to really quickly thank you for the ratings on iTunes and the wonderful review from a new and amazing podcast, The Story of Sandra Marie. It's an extremely well-produced podcast of a son interviewing his mother about surviving conversion therapy and an abusive relationship. You should definitely check them out. And now, back to my conversation with Agnark. I was going somewhere with the hair thing. Oh, yeah. But I got sidetracked with the Pocahontas, which was my fault. But beyond the Pocahontas thing with my hair, at seven, the decision to relax my hair was mine, but it was made out of a desire to be more white passing because I went to an all white school, very private Christian school, very small. It was just my brother and me. And then I think there was one older boy who was like in seventh grade who was black, but it was just that. And I I always got made fun of for my curly hair. And so I had my hair relaxed. So that fed into my ambiguity and people have never known what I am. And I think part of what my search for initially when I first started to find my identity was I wanted to be able to, when someone asked me what I was, say, I'm this one thing. This is my identity because people like to assign things to me. In college, I went to college in New Orleans. There was a Hawaiian woman and she saw me, thought I was also Hawaiian, gave me her children, asked me to watch her children while she went to the bathroom. I didn't think why. She comes back and I said, you know, this is slightly dangerous. Why did you trust me with your children? And she said, well, aren't you Hawaiian? I said, no. (laughs) She said, oh, well, I thought you were Hawaiian. So I thought it would be safe to leave my children with you. But honestly, that's totally valid. If I had children and I saw like, out of all the people here, like, first of all, she would probably be able to find you the easiest. So if something were to happen, if you're already you're like well I know she was Hawaiian so that dwindles it down (laughs) well if I had run away from her children and she gave them the descriptor that I was Hawaiian they'd never have found her children because I'm not oh yeah that's true (laughs) I mean I've just had experiences like that all through my life with different ethnic groups and it wasn't until honestly last year when Mansfield my cousin actually told me that I can be all these things at once and it's not about blood quantum It's not about what other people try to put you in the box as. It's what you are and you yourself get to decide how much you want to take from that. So if I want to identify fully as Choctaw, fully as Cherokee, fully as Irish on all those things together, that's my right. Mm -hmm. And I can do that. And that actually was kind of freeing to me and it meant a lot. But there's a part of me that kind of mourned the idea of not having that one thing that I could say that I am, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. 
But now mostly being able to be parts of different worlds does hold certain responsibilities, but also is a beautiful thing to me too. Yeah, I think once you start realizing that it's not a bad thing, you can find a lot of strength in it. Mm -hmm. And you have to because otherwise it's just going to break you down. You have to come to terms with it and you have to look at it in a different way, like through a different lens to be able to really come to terms with it and be able to utilize it for not only your identity, but also to help your community too. I think a lot of people talk about indigenous identity, about what do you do for the community? And I think once I started really thinking in that mindset and really building up my confidence and building up my identity through my community and being like, here's where I'm at and here's where I want to be. What can I do to get to that and know that that is going to make what my identity is. It's a lot of hard work, uh, especially for people who are reconnecting. It's hard to kind of grasp your head around the fact that it's not something yeah, it's yours and that's your identity and that's something that no one will be able to take away from you. But your indigenous identity upholding that, that takes a lot of work too. It's not just like, oh, you're native. Yeah. There is a part that you have to be able to prove that, but at the same time, especially for lower 48, <laughs> that term referring to the continental US, the lower 48, since I'm all the way up here in Alaska, something that I didn't even realize was a thing until I started really listening to lower 48 indigenous youth specifically, because it's such a difficult thing to kind of grasp your head around. Yeah. And as an adult discovering these things, I recognize that. There's a part of me that's afraid that when I start reconnecting with that side of the Cherokee and Choctaw side of my family, that I'm always going to be an outsider because I didn't grow up with the stories, go through the same things, that I'll always be an outsider. But I also know that if I really want to learn, which I do, and I'm open that there's a place for me and I want to take that responsibility of identity too, because I mean, you've got traditions that you need to learn. Like the minute you start trying to claim indigenous identity, I think that comes with traditions that you need to learn and uphold and pass along and a really strong communal environment. I haven't encountered any indigenous cultures where they weren't very communal. And of course, the language and the revival of some native languages that were almost gone, like seeing that happen across different tribes has been really interesting as well. But there's definitely a lot of responsibility as soon as you start claiming or start identifying with an indigenous part of yourself. Yeah, when you start reclaiming that identity, it's like, yeah, there's there's work you have to put into it. You can't just be like, okay, so now I'm not ashamed of my native identity anymore, or now I know that I'm native. That's it. It's not how that works you're yeah. going to, have to actually put work into that i think it's really interesting especially like when you're talking about if you're like black at all even if you're mixed you're black whereas it's just different with indigenous identities but you can't compare yeah. the two because they're functioning differently i think a lot of communities across the board especially for minorities they hold that sense of responsibility mm -hmm. if you're going to claim this identity what are you doing for your people especially if you're mixed with white, like we have even more responsibility. You see both sides of the coins. What are you going to do about it? Half of your family is going through these really tough times and the other half just kind of watches it happen and you're in the middle of the two. <laughs> and how are you going to utilize your whiteness for something that actually is going to benefit your people? And I read a tweet the other day and I I didn't like respond to it. I didn't do anything with it. I've been reflecting on it and it was like nothing good can come out of whiteness. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, it was interesting to read because I have this mentality of using my whiteness to benefit my family who doesn't have 
my privilege. Mm-hmm. And to hear that, I've been holding on to that. It's been kind of festering with me for the past few days because I don't know, I haven't been able to come to terms with that yet because I still don't believe that to be true personally, but I'm trying to take it as a critique. I still don't know where I stand on it. I am very resistant to rhetoric where white people are lumped in and just like the worst things ever. While it is very easy to fall into that rhetoric when you're talking about minority groups, it's very hard when you're talking about history and especially in our current climate to see positivity and being part white. Mm -hmm. But I think that the only thing we really can do is exactly what you're doing is seeing how we can use that to help our communities. And also we do have to not necessarily forgive ourselves, but just be at peace within ourselves that that is a part of us. Yeah, I don't know. A lot of people talk about it like it's something that you should be ashamed about. Right. And it's like, well, I can't do anything about it. But at the same time, you can't say that because it's like the white people who are like, well, I can't help being white. And it's like, well, yeah, you can't help being white, but you can at least help the people who are being oppressed because of your whiteness. You can be aware. You can call out things. You can do things that maybe other people can't do because I don't have a platform. I try to utilize my platform. Someone sent me a few weeks ago asking me why people should give me money when I'm a white passing, I grew up middle class, lower end of middle class. Mm -hmm. We were comfortable and I never knew growing up that we were as poor as we were. So I had that benefit. And someone asked me like, why should we give you money instead of giving black or brown indigenous people money? I was like, you're absolutely right. That's the reason why I try to utilize my platform as much as possible. But definitely taking that to heart and I took that, that rhetoric that nothing good can come from whiteness rhetoric to heart. It's just an opinion. Yeah. Because I think in instances like with being mixed with white, I think that's when it starts when you have to kind of balance the two where you have to realize that you're benefiting from it, but also try and use that benefit for good. Mm-hmm. It's a it's really hard like dynamic to explain and to not sound like it's internalized white supremacy. <laughs> I don't think it's that necessarily. I mean, to like other people. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because it's a hard thing to navigate, especially being mixed, because you don't want to talk over anyone, Mm -hmm. especially black and brown indigenous people. I never want to talk over them, but I know that sometimes I do. And it's like constantly keeping myself in check and also really taking into account critiques that people say to me, even if it's totally out of line. Like, you know, that person asking me, why should I give you money instead of other people? And it's like, well, I'm still an indigenous woman. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. I do benefit from that whiteness and also trying to utilize that platform to help people who don't have the resources that I do because I know that I'm more well off. But at the same time, I'm still seeing the effects of the system, but I'm not seeing them to the same degree Mm -hmm. and it's a weird gray area to be in i think as our culture when i say our culture i mean as america as a country grows more mixed it's something that we're having to talk about more and more how to navigate that gray area because we're at a point where you have to talk about it yeah it's not something that people can sweep under the rug anymore but i think the more times that people in our positions can talk to anyone or use any platform to talk about these things it helps and you said something earlier about 
activism on social media not being as impactful. But I wanted to say that what you do on Twitter is important too because people like me who grew up disconnected from their culture and are trying to find maybe a way back in or a way to connect themselves back to that part, it's very important to see Indigenous people who are very vocal and very strong on the internet if you can't see them beside you. Yeah, I think when I, when I was talking about that earlier, I, I get a lot of people who definitely try and tell me that it's not impactful. And it's like, you may think that, but also I definitely have seen and have heard from people who told me how impactful it was, especially because there are a lot of youth that's disconnected mm-hmm. and being able to utilize, you know, the internet to see people. And it's really inspired me to like being a part of Native Twitter. It has inspired my artwork. It's inspired me to reconnect. Even though, you know, I've had these resources, I've been inspired to utilize those resources to really find myself and also to be able to help people, especially people who are disconnected, because it's hard to navigate that. And I think especially for online activism, it just being able to use those. I'm basically everyone's native auntie is what I am. <laughs> can and cannot be in the native community you kind of find that validation with twitter yeah someone brought up do you think that white passing and white coded natives feel more accepted you feel more validated online and they're asking if that's the reason why white passing white coded go to the internet as opposed to going into their community because they feel more validated and i was like that's a far fetch first of all yeah that's a very interesting question i get a lot of really interesting questions and i actually don't answer a lot of them I am just like, I can't believe you asked this. But for something like that, I was like, yeah, you've got a good point. Their online activism, especially for native Twitter, has a lot of white passing, a lot of white coded voices. I was like, yeah, you're right. But also it's kind of a really far reach to assume that we're only using the internet to validate ourselves. Mm -hmm. And also to assuming that no one is involved in their culture. It's very judgmental. Yeah, but at the same time, I can understand too. I can understand, but my reaction to that is probably less lenient. You never know what someone's doing on the other side of the computer. You shouldn't judge and automatically assume that just because someone is expressing their activism online that they're not also doing things in their community. I think that's a very small-minded thinking, but I can understand why the question is well. Same. Your response is a lot more empathetic than mine. Mine is a little bit more frustrated response. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this was a while ago, so I've had a little more time to think about it. My initial like white reaction was like, how dare you? (laughs) And then I had to go back. I'm like, oh, okay. So I kind of get where you're coming from because it it was a brown indigenous person who asked that. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, I understand now. But I didn't really know how to react to that initially. It's frustrating for sure, constantly being able to try and prove that to people. But at the same time, you have to like pull yourself away. While you do have to prove that, you also don't, especially to non-natives. I stop proving myself to white people. Mm. If they don't think I'm native, that's not any of their business. (laughs) It really isn't. It's not anyone's business, I guess. Well, to an extent. But you have a pretty significant identifier on your body now. Yeah. Very visible identifier on your body now. And talking about white passing, you now have traditional chin tattoos. So how does that change how you navigate. Does it change anything at all? I since haven't been outside of Alaska since I got my tattoo, so I don't know how the rest of the United States would react to it. A lot of people are confused about it. I want to say the majority of people here already know what it is. Mm -hmm. They don't really know too much about it other than it's a traditional tattoo, and that's usually where the questions come from. I haven't seen a whole lot of an effect. 
at least recently, I get a lot of questions of what does it mean? I can't really explain it in two sentences. I've been trying to get my elevator pitch together for the tattoo, but it just, I haven't been able to. Usually I just tell people it's for healing and that's all that people need to know. Or I just don't tell them. <laughs> and it's really interesting because a lot of people feel entitled to that information, especially on the internet where I'm like, just Google it. <laughs> They're like, wow, you can just tell me. I'm like, nope, just Google it. But like in person, it's so hard to do that. I can't just tell people to Google things. And it's also like I feel an obligation to just be nice. Right. Because I'm already aggressively native. And so if I be more aggressive, then that's, oh, it's so hard. Because you have to like be the good native. Yeah. It's like you have to be the good kind of black person. Yeah, you can't react to anything, which is hard. Um, mm -hmm. I've definitely upheld my bitch face. <laughs> so a lot of people don't even approach me. But when they do, I try and be nice about it. Uh, I haven't been in a situation where I have been particularly rude about it because no one has been mean. So your experience with your tattoo has mostly been positive. Yeah, yeah, it hasn't been anything crazy. Especially for like the Native women who kind of started this resurrection, they've seen pretty much all of the negativity surrounding it. But now that it's being celebrated more and more people are aware about it, I think it, we're in a position to where you don't see a lot of negativity. That's such a positive thing. Like it, there's nothing wrong with that at all. Like. Yeah, it's just a really beautiful thing, seeing everyone confident about it, but also seeing that there's not a whole lot of negativity and there's not a whole lot of positivity outside of the community either. It's just kind of an acceptance. Like, honestly, I forget that I have it sometimes, mainly because I honestly, it just belongs on my face. It looks like it belongs on your face, to be honest. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, so when I look at myself, like I see myself and I don't really think about that outside of it. And so when I go out into public and I'm like, people look at my face just a little bit longer and I'm like, what are they looking at? <laughs> and like, oh, that's right. I have a face tattoo. But I think also face tattoos are definitely not as much of a taboo in the most recent years too. So that also helps. Definitely a lot of people in my community already know that it's a thing because a lot of people are walking around with them. A lot of women, not a lot, a lot, but I mean a handful. And a growing number, it looks like. Yeah, it's definitely growing. And you know, there's a lot of stories written on it. And since we are so culturally aware up here, not so culturally aware, more so than Lower 48, for sure. It's honestly like not a big deal at all. But I haven't been outside of Alaska. So I don't know how it's going to fare whenever I leave. <laughs> I find that very interesting because my initial thought going into this was, I guess, kind of self-centered in a way. I didn't consider or know really that Alaska was so regionally distant that things like Thanksgiving might be approached differently by the two of us. Yeah. I have no hard feelings personally about Thanksgiving, mainly because I've never even thought about it. And that's something that I had the privilege of not thinking about it from an Indigenous viewpoint, especially Lake Lower 40 Indigenous, where that has a lot more impact than up here. It's the one day of the year I dread. I love seeing my family, but my mom and I have fought there was one year where pilgrims and Indians appeared on the table and I protested and that was a fight, you know. So I, I just detest the, the day in general. Yeah. But it's that's very yeah. interesting. Yeah, I just I keep thinking about indigenous food because we cook a lot of mix of foods on Thanksgiving. So that's all that I can think about is just food. So I'm like, oh, yeah, but there's also a lot of people protesting Thanksgiving. But in my head, I'm like, oh, but there's so much good food. Like, I know it's a colonizer's holiday, but I'm still going to eat. I don't even have that association with food. I have a lot of dietary restrictions, number one. And number two, I hate 
turkey. I don't like a lot of white traditional Thanksgiving mm-hmm. foods. I don't like them or I can't eat them. Oh gosh, yeah. The only positive thing about that day is all my siblings are together on that day. My siblings and I are pretty close. Because our parents divorced, we, we kind of drew together, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But because everyone's getting older and one's in college and off and my brother's in the military. So, you know, that's the day where we all get together other than Christmas. So I'm happy for that. But being lactose intolerant and trying to eat a typical American Thanksgiving yeah. is very difficult on Thanksgiving. So I don't even have good food association. Yeah, so it's just all bad altogether. Literally all it's about now is just food. And then we have to acknowledge why it's a thing in the first place and having that cognitive dissonance and not even connecting the two. It's kind of like you have to do that. At this point, I'm like, oh, I know I'm socially aware enough now to hate it. But like, my family's going to make food anyways, so I might as well (laughs) eat it. (laughs) You have to kind of separate yourself for your own sanity on that day. Yeah. Exactly. I'm not good at that. I'm really not good at that. It comes out of that child in me that grew up looking around and seeing things and going, why doesn't anyone care about this? That's the exact opposite that I grew up. I was like, (laughs) and we talked about that too. (laughs) Obviously, we talked about that already, but it's just so weird just becoming more self-aware, but then also like with, you know, your situation where you've hated it for such a long time. And because I have that positive association with the food, I just have that that privilege to where I, I can disconnect <laughs> myself from it still. So, Well, if I end up moving to Michigan, which will be closer to my Choctaw and Cherokee family, because I actually live in like Illinois, Detroit, Chicago area. Mm-hmm. If I move up there and I get closer to them and they make food that is good for my lactose intolerant, very little animal meat eating self, <laughs> then mm-hmm. maybe I can create some new positive associations with that holiday. Yeah. You never know what the future holds, but that's my plan. I mean, Mansfield and I have been talking. So he's coming in the spring and taking me up to visit my family. And that's going to be a really exciting part of my life if I can get that arranged and reconnecting with that side of my family. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Being able to have some positive associations. And that's something that I talked about too. So I work in behavioral health, um, but I work in human resources. So I i don't do direct services at all, but I do have the opportunity to provide support to our direct services department. We specialize in helping children in the community. Since I'm you know, away from them, I, I try and be a part of the events as much as possible because I have the opportunity to do that. And did a presentation for our foster parents about Native culture and art and provided some resources for it. And I was like, a lot of the foster kids have some negative associations with their heritage. Yeah, You can try and work through that therapeutically. You still have to find some positive associations mm-hmm. that you can create now. There's one thing to accepting it, but then there's another thing to have some positive associations with it. Yeah. And I guess that's all part of the journey, I mean. We're coming at different situations with similar circumstances. And I think we both on either end are just kind of trying to build those positive associations and build part of our identities to the same goal, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Same goal, same destination, but just different paths. Yeah. 
It's very interesting. The more people I talk to who are mixed or however they identify but come from different backgrounds, the more I realize that a lot of our feelings or journeys or backgrounds are similar. And I hope that these kinds of conversations can happen more because there's sometimes a feeling of isolation that comes from coming from different backgrounds. And it's just very validating for me personally. And I notice for other people as well to hear that we kind of experience some of the same things. Yeah, I think it's the more people, like especially the more people you talk to, you realize that you're not alone. Yeah, your journey is your own and this is all your responsibility. Mm -hmm. But you can reach out to people and like even if they're not a part of your culture, like obviously we have some similar experiences and I think just being indigenous and trying to reclaim that you have that community that you can fall back on. Yeah. There's one thing to talk amongst, you know, people and talk to people about what you're going through. It's another thing to talk to Native women and just Native people in general about experiences and similar experiences. Like it's it's definitely medicine. It's definitely healing. I agree. Thank you so much for agreeing to talk to me. I reached out to you and I was not sure if you would see my Twitter DM and I'm so glad you did. And I'm definitely glad that I responded to you because this was fun. I liked it. I enjoyed it. And I hope that everyone who listens to this either learns something or something resonates with them, whether you come from one of our cultural backgrounds or not. But I do want to give you the opportunity to tell everyone where they can find you. And you are selling prints. And are you selling those t-shirts that you mentioned? Not yet. I'm still in the works. I think what I'm going to do is if, if I don't partner with an organization in particular, which I'm trying to do, I think I'm just going to create a design and then just make a bunch of prints myself, sell those, and then just split whatever profit I make and just donate that to a certain organization. So it's going to happen eventually. I'm hoping by mid-November. So where can we find you on social media for your prints or for your wonderful tweets? <laughs> So my Twitter handle is uh, Ntaniak, which actually means half white. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I changed it. It's um, Tanik means white, and then Ntaniak means half white. So that's what my Twitter handle is now. But it's under Agnarak, which is my um, Inupiaq name, and my Instagram is under Agnarak as well. I can accept print orders pretty much in any form or fashion, but I do have an Instagram, which I post a lot of art stuff. And then my Twitter, I just, it's my personal Twitter, so you get what you get. <laughs> A lot of it, it's really good. I don't see all of it because I am new to Twitter and Twitter and I are not exactly friends yet. But what I see is good. I like, <laughs> obviously, because I reached out to you. Yeah, some of it's just ridiculous things that I just think and tweet out there. And sometimes it's not received well. Sometimes it is. Yeah, but that's life. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm just throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks. I've refined it since then. So I have a lot more educational things out there. But if you want my emotional labor for Twitter, then you're going to get my really crappy tweets too. <laughs> You get all of it. You get all of it or none of it. I will be linking all the social media handles in the show notes just in case you need that as well. And just again, thank you so much for being here and talking to me. Yeah, I'm glad that we ended up finding a good time to talk because it definitely was, was fun talking to you, especially talking about different experiences that we've both had and finding commonality in them. It definitely builds for really strong and empathetic communities. I agree. Thank you so much for listening. 
Agnarok was amazing, and you might be hearing from them again in the future. You can find both their social media links and art information in the show notes. And you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at somekindofbrown. If you're enjoying this podcast, please leave a rate and review on iTunes. Your feedback is really important to me and helps the show. Thank you to Purple Planet for the use of their song, Love Life, and I'll see you in two weeks with some more Shades of Brown.